we get PMS, we get cramps, we get bloating, we get moodiness. All of those symptoms are because of that shift in hormones in that second half of the cycle. So estrogen dominance really occurs at the time where we see progesterone and estrogen fluctuating. So as we enter our 30s and especially into our 40s, Welcome to the Menopause Mastery Podcast, a show for women just like you who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, living life with a purpose. I created this show because I knew that women just like me in this second season of life, the season of menopause, are really tapping into their deepest desires. And we're ready to harness our physical and mental health and explore what our true passions are and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what we want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking the complex science and making it easier to integrate into daily life. So let's join the journey to make this season the best ever. Welcome back to Menopause Mastery. So today we're going to talk a little bit about estrogen dominance. Now, If you're like me, you've already gone through some of this process because you're already on the other side, so you're on the menopausal side. However, I have a lot of women that uh, listen to this show that are in the transition period that, you know, are starting to understand what's really going on with their body. And then there's a lot of us who were in this position for maybe a decade or so, and, and we're feeling the effects of estrogen dominance as we have gone through menopause. So let's dig in. Let's talk about estrogen dominance, and let's kind of dispel some of the myths and explain what really happens in estrogen dominance. All right. So estrogen dominance occurs when the relationship between your estrogen and your progesterone is altered. So estrogen, as you very well know, probably it fluctuates throughout your month, right? So as your period starts, so when you actually start your period, your hormones are at their lowest. So it's actually the rapid decline of progesterone and estrogen that initiates the contractions of the uterus, the increase of inflammatory uh, cytokines, and particularly a prostaglandin that helps the uterine uh, lining contract and slough off the lining of the uterus. And so it's truly that astronomical sort of drop of the hormones that cause that every month or so, depending on how your cycle runs. And so when once we started our period, all of our hormones are very low. And then slowly over that first week, we see an increase in estrogen, and then follicular stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone, which are pituitary hormones, are the hormones that that actually initiate ovulation, which is where the egg gets prepared and kind of pops out of the ovary and makes its travel down to through the fallopian tubes to the uterus. And it's in that second half of the cycle post ovulation, where the follicle, where the egg popped out actually produces the corpus callosum and then you actually see production of progesterone. So that second phase of your of your cycle is where progesterone climbs along with estrogen. So you see a very high peaking of both of those hormones in the second half of the cycle, which is often associated with all of the negative side effects of your hormones, right? We've got PMS, we get cramps, we get bloating, we get moodiness, All of those symptoms are because of that shift in hormones in that second half of the cycle. So estrogen dominance really occurs at the time where we see progesterone and estrogen fluctuating. So as we enter our 30s and especially into our 40s, we see a rapid decline of progesterone. 
And it's, it's part of it is we weren't really necessarily designed to live to 85, 90 years old. You know, so it's part of the progression of aging and fertility. We see a reduction in this production of progesterone. So what ends up happening is often our symptoms get more severe. So we might get heavier periods. We might be we might see fibroids, fibrocystic breasts. We might see changes in frequency of periods. Some people it might get less frequent, but often at this point we might actually see them become closer together, and all the symptoms get a little bit worse. So you can have all of these things sort of show up together. And why that's really occurring is because in that time period, usually our 40s, our estrogen is going to be at its normal height. So we don't see a significant drop in estrogen, but progesterone is in that natural decline. So most of us, by the time we get into our 40s, we have estrogen high relative to progesterone, so it's relatively unopposed. So most of us have that scenario where we have higher levels of estrogen relative to progesterone. This is also where you start to see your sleep issues because progesterone actually helps us stay asleep. So we see this sort of exacerbation of symptoms. And so estrogen dominance is somewhat of a natural progression of the perimenopausal process till we get to full menopause. Why this is important is, number one, this is where we see a lot of the symptoms that women associate with the transition to menopause. Number two, we see metabolic damage, which I've talked about a lot today. I'm not going to talk about it, or not today, but I've talked about a lot on this on this podcast of what happens as we go through this transition and beyond because of the changes in sex hormones. But we also see an increase in other things. So there's other conditions that are associated with estrogen dominance. So probably first and foremost is a condition that shows up actually in our younger years and fertility years, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. So polycystic ovarian syndrome is actually an inherited insulin resistance in most cases. We also have sort of pseudo PCOS where we have created a metabolic issue that now sort of mimics PCOS, but it is not inherited. And essentially what happens is that interaction between our hormones and insulin are abnormal. So often PCOS shows up in women, particularly young girls, as they enter their fertility phase, as they start their periods, we start to see shifts in hormonal picture. And often they may have a period to start, but then they never ever have a period or they have very abnormal periods, it leads to fertility issues. So PCOS is going to exacerbate an estrogen-dominant state. So if you have been diagnosed with PCOS, you already have an estrogen-dominant state relative to progesterone. So if you were diagnosed with that, that means often that this transition period is probably more significant, right? There's more problems with it. So all the things that go along with PCOS, the weight gain and abnormal periods and everything else, we might see an increase in those uh, conditions. Now, the reason why I bring it up is because if you're in your 40s and progesterone is already on a decline and you have higher levels of estrogen relative to it, because that's the natural progression, and you've got some metabolic damage, we've lost metabolic flexibility and we are not good at necessarily burning fats very well, we are struggling with weight loss. The other thing that's going to happen is you are going to mimic in a lot of ways some of the issues that we see with polycystic ovarian syndrome, which often is associated with weight gain, inability to lose weight, or it makes it very difficult to lose weight. So number one, we're going to see those kind of, those kind of issues show up where we experience the insulin resistance and it's going to make that transition of your 40s where estrogen is dominant worse, right? So if I go into my 40s, 
already insulin resistant. I'm, I'm going to probably have slightly greater problems if I don't address that metabolic flexibility issue. So number one, we're going to see all of those things. And so many women struggle and we start to see more weight gain as we enter our 40s and then going into the transition period of our 50s. So definitely PCOS is one of the things that we look at. And to some degree, estrogen dominance can mimic a lot of the situation of PCOS. One of the things that we also see when we see estrogen dominance is we see a change in immune function. So this is one of the major areas that I was always interested in because you know, for me, it seemed like my my symptoms were worse, uh, particularly with my autoimmune condition as I entered into my 30s, they got worse. And then definitely in my 40s, I saw more fluctuation. And so and so we can have a lot of different um, interaction between the immune system and these hormones, right? So like I said, we've got that estrogen dominance that's happening naturally in our 40s. The other thing that contributes to the immune dysregulation is we've got our natural production of estrogen and all the other xenoestrogens that mimic our hormones like plastics, cosmetics, environmental chemicals, uh, pesticides, herbicides. All of those things are going to exacerbate that estrogen dominant state and also lead to a greater burden on the body that the immune system must manage. And so we also see changes in immune function just because of our environmental exposures. So when we have a look at our immune system, we have two parts to our immune system. We have a part that's called the innate immunity. This is an immediate response. It's non-specific defense system that's present at birth. So this is a cellular response. Uh, this is this is how our body fights viruses when it doesn't have the capacity to produce antibodies or it hasn't done that yet. We also have an adaptive immune system, which is acquired over time through exposure, and it provides specific responses. So this is where our antibodies get made. And when we look at the immune system, we see that estrogen has immuno-enhancing effects. So it can stimulate the production of antibodies, enhancing what we call the humoral immunity, or it's the immunity mediated by molecules in the bloodstream. So, so the things that are circulating around. So you've heard me, if you've listened to some of my podcasts, you've heard me talk about the production of antibodies. And we have different military branches like the Army and the Navy and the Marines. Well... Estrogen modulates that production of antibodies. So the other thing that we see is at times of hormonal transition for women, we see a change in antibody production. So we see an increase in autoimmune activity also at this time. So women are more likely to experience autoimmune flares or the onset of autoimmune disease at times where hormones are wildly changing around pregnancy, particularly post-pregnancy, because we have an entire part of our immune system that's sort of ignoring a fetus, right? It's saying, don't attack the fetus. And then all of a sudden you give birth, your hormones are dropped to nothing, and then everything sort of goes haywire. So there's a rapid uptick in autoimmune activity often post-birth because of hormone changes. We also see that same enhanced kind of immune function when we enter into the perimenopausal season, right? So if estrogen modulates some of the production of antibodies and I'm already producing antibodies to, let's say, my joints in my hands or like in the case of RA or my collagen production and my connective tissue and lupus or my thyroid in Hashimoto's, or my uh, colon in ulcerative colitis, that fluctuation of estrogen, and particularly the loss of progesterone, can drive some of that as well. 
So we also see a, a pretty significant change in autoimmune activity and just antibody production. So a lot of women will tell you, gosh, I seem to be getting more allergies or I seem to be reacting to more things. I have all these weird symptoms that showed up that don't seem to be related to my hormones, but they seem to have gone along with it. And so that estrogen can stimulate those antibody productions. Estrogen can also increase the production of inflammatory cytokines, leading to more inflammation. You know, I've got to love COVID, uh, actually helping people <laughs> have cytokines as one of their uh, uh, new literary words for discussion at, at dinner tables. So cytokines are small molecule messengers that go to cell to cell and basically tell the body, hey, we need to get inflamed. Right. So when we have high levels of estrogen, we see an increased production of the pro-inflammatory cytokines. And so that means that we get more inflammatory messages just in general. Now, if I'm insulin resistant on top of that, I'm going to have increased inflammatory cytokines to the insulin resistance, particularly coming from the adipocytes, which are your fat cells. And so what happens is, especially if you're a woman, so my experience was I was a woman in my 40s fighting with my body weight, fighting estrogen dominance, and I had pretty significant inflammatory activity because I was constantly fighting this inflammatory response, and I have an autoimmune history. So it was this, it, to me, it felt like every time I was, I was trying to like put out the fire, somebody else was on the other side pouring uh, gasoline on it and causing it to burn more. And so it was just this constant sort of battle is how it felt to me. And so because my estrogen was dominant, it was probably driving some of that inflammatory cytokine. Estrogens can also mediate and influence T-cell production. And T-cells are part of your adaptive immune function. And I've talked a little bit about T-cells, so I'm not going to go into those in detail. But T-cells help you fight, right? So we want the T-cells to respond, but we don't want that adaptive immune response to be amplified, right? So estrogen can stimulate that stimulate that pretty heavily. Progesterone is immunosuppressant. So it has an anti-inflammatory effect. So if you're in your 40s or in, especially in your 50s and you're not on hormones, you don't have any of that either, right? So progesterone reduces inflammations by increasing the secretion of anti-inflammatory cytokines and reducing the pro-inflammatory ones. So it sends a messenger of, hey, let's chill out and relax, right? So it's the relax hormone. It also regulates T cell function by promoting the development of regulator T cells, which which prevent autoimmunity and they regulate the communication back and forth, right? So, so we need T cells, but we need sort of a traffic cop there to tell them when to work and when not to work. So, so definitely we need progesterone to help regulate that. And obviously progesterone is the hormone that suppresses maternal immune response to prevent the rejection of the fetus. So it is the one, that, the hormone that is responsible for saying, don't destroy the developing baby. Right, so it has a massive regulation on the immune system. So if you're if you're in that perimenopausal state or you're postmenopausal and you start looking back like I did into my 40s and you go, hey, I think something was really going on here, it probably was, right? Now, so what that means is if I have estrogen dominance and I've lost progesterone and I have autoimmunity, 
that I probably have some hormones that are playing into this role. I have some hormones that are probably driving some of this immune function, right? So we've got that estrogen dominance amplifying the inflammation, maybe leading to autoimmune flares and increases in antibodies. I may have a loss of that regulatory activity of the immune system because progesterone has declined. And so I'm going to increase self-reactivity, right? So I'm going to increase the likelihood of an onset potentially of another autoimmune condition. Because the one thing that we know from the research is if you have one autoimmune condition, you're more likely to get another, right? So we've got, we've got that scenario. We've got an autoimmune activity too. And we have obviously enhanced humoral immunity, right? More antibody production under estrogen dominance. So we see just a greater, a greater activity overall. So if you're a woman and you're in your 40s and things seems to be getting weird, it's getting weird, right? And as you head into your 50s and you go through the transition of menopause, the other thing that we often see too is when a woman has been estrogen dominant, and I would say most women are going to experience some degree of that, and then obviously some of us were greater producers of estrogen just to begin with, and we might have been greater producers of estrogen and also less capable of clearing up estrogen. We've talked about how we detoxify estrogen, how we get it out of the body. Well, we've got our body burden of what we're making. We have what we're exposed to, our xenoestrogens, our plasticizers, our you know phthalates, our pesticides, herbicides. We have to clean those up too. And so if I automatically am one of those people that produce more estrogen anyway, and I have that extra body burden, when I go through this transition, it's going to be greater. And on the other side of it, you you got to also think about the woman that's in menopause that had estrogen dominance for a significant, if not the vast majority of their fer- fertile life, they have a lot of receptors for estrogen. So there's, there's no real, at least that I could find, really good research looking at, you know, let's track women over the, uh, the menopausal transition or perimenopausal transition and look at all the symptoms that show up, right, because you'd have to track them for over 10 years. But, but there are some studies kind of implicating an increase in vasomotor changes, so the hot flash, night sweat scenario, because the estrogen actually modulates and controls hypothalamic control, which is your thermometer in your body. So we see, you know, possible increases in the symptoms. So my experience has been anecdotally and just looking at my case studies in my clinic is a lot of times the women who were estrogen dominant and had more symptoms going into transition come into the menopausal scenario with more symptoms. Right. So they feel worse than somebody who maybe had moderate hormone changes. So so even if you've gone through the transition and you're really symptomatic, it may be because you had a greater amount of receptors. Your body was bathed in estrogen at a higher level than someone else. Right. The other thing you have to think about is women that have estrogen dominance often have other symptoms and other things like a history of endometriosis, adenomyosis, infertility, especially if progesterone was really low. You know, So all of those conditions can kind of point you in this direction to say, hey, my hormones were really, were really out of whack. So what other factors contribute to estrogen dominance? So obviously the natural transition from you know, entering into perimenopause to menopause will do it, right? 
having having just your genetics wired to make more estrogen can do it. We can also make estrogen out of testosterone. We have the aromatase enzyme, and that enzyme is responsible for converting testosterone and androstenedione, its best friend, into estrogens, um, estradiol and estrone. And depending on your aromatase enzyme, you could produce more and more estrogen. So the other thing that can happen is even if your estrogen is starting to decline, if you have especially more body fat where that aromatase enzyme is amplified, you're going to see potentially weight gain from that as well. And you're also going to see more estrogen production because of that enzyme. So your testosterone levels can influence your estrogen. It's why in breast cancer and ovarian cancer, we often give aromatase inhibitors because the standard conventional wisdom is to suppress any natural production of estrogen. So that's what those drugs do. They suppress other cells and any ovarian activity, if you still have our ovaries, um, they're suppressing that enzyme. So testosterone can get converted into estrogen, and particularly women who had PCOS have generally higher levels of androgens. So overall, their testosterone, DHEA, androstenedione are a little bit elevated. Their estrogen is elevated. And then one of the hormones from the pituitary called the luteinizing hormone stays relatively stable but slightly higher all the time. So they don't always ovulate. But when they go into this transition period, they might experience more uh, symptoms. So your testosterone levels, your aromatase enzyme in uh, converting testosterone and your fat cells converting testosterone into estrogen can also contribute to estrogen dominance. And then on the other side of that too, just your overall toxic burden. So the more plasticizers, herbicides, pesticides, chemicals you're exposed to, the more likely you are to experience estrogen dominant symptoms. So that's also really important to look at. So it's not just what you make, it's what you come in contact with and how well your body can get rid of it. Now, so so all of these things can lead to estrogen dominance. It can lead to all the symptoms that we experience in the menopause transition that makes it a little bit worse. It can lead to immune dysregulation, particularly in women. Um, and then we get to this kind of crossroads where we're in menopause and we got to figure out how to manage it and treat it. So when we're in that very early stages of estrogen dominance, you know, I'm a proponent. I don't prescribe because I'm a, I'm a nutrition PhD, not a MDDO. So I don't prescribe it. I do have prescribers that work with me in my clinic and that I work with across the United States. And I am a proponent for progesterone replacement and estrogen replacement, even testosterone in women, because uh, you know I know that aging is the, the number one cause of or risk factor for all cause mortality. So if I can slow the aging process by retaining natural hormone balance, that's always better. But when we go into this transition, you know, and you're in the early stages of it, as progesterone is declining, this might be a time to do progesterone replacement. And a lot of times that is where a lot of functional medicine practitioners start is we start with replacing the progesterone levels, particularly cycling it at that second half of the cycle to mimic what the body would naturally do. Because that ultimately is what we want. We want the body to retain its natural function. So think of it as kind of like fertility treatments where they might be adding progesterone to help you have a baby. It's adding progesterone in that second half of the cycle. And often that will help that early sort of estrogen dominant state. So the next thing that happens is as you get closer and closer to menopause, right? The progesterone levels are still declined, you know, so let's assume that maybe you were taking progesterone, but things are still weird, right? 
So this is the ketchup bottle example that I use, but I think it's really important here because I think it's a challenge even for the clinician to look at. I'm very much a proponent for testing. I don't like guessing at things. I don't think that's very scientific. I think it's important to use data to make decisions because otherwise it's kind of like getting in a car and then putting, you know, knowing that you're going to some endpoint, but not using a map to get there and you've never been there before. It's like you can drive and eventually maybe get there, but you're going to circle around and around and around and probably not get where you're going. So testing is important. The thing about that last stage right before you go through menopause, when you're really probably in the throes of it, is the, is the production of estrogen at this point often is enough to still have a period. This is, this is not fair. It's enough to mimic a regular period, but you are anovulatory, so it means you are no longer ovulating. There's no egg popping out. The crate is empty. And so you have all the effects of having a period. You probably get breast tenderness and all this other stuff. But the estrogen is probably not consistently high enough to have a physiological effect. Now, why do I say this? If you look at osteoporosis um, research, the loss of bone mass actually occurs as you transition. It doesn't start when you've lost all your hormones. It, it happens as we go into that last couple years of transition. So we see the acceleration of bone loss, which means that the estrogen is declining right? It is declining, but it hasn't declined to the extent that it's readily noticeable with lack of period, vaginal dryness, painful sex, vaginal atrophy, all the things that you would readily be able to see. So what that means is, is that the estrogen is probably not number one consistent, and it may or may not be physiological, right? So this is, so essentially it's like a ketchup bottle. So when you're fertile, your, your ketchup comes out and it's a perfect S, you know, across your vegan, not vegan, let's say, uh, you know, organic, all beef hot dog, right? So it's, it's real consistent. But as you go into your forties and beyond, it's like the ketchup bottle is mostly empty. So you have to shake it and squeeze it and shake it and squeeze it. And then it splats, right? So it's not consistent. So the other thing that occurs is, is we see this kind of wild fluctuation. So sometimes we have to test multiple times in a month to see what your cycle really is doing. Because if I get nothing, I'm guessing. So if I don't look at all, I'm guessing. If I look and I happen to catch it when there's a big splat of ketchup from my, my ovaries, I might think that I'm always dominant. You know, my estrogen's 300. Or if I catch it and it's completely bottomed out because I shook the ketchup bottle, it may be low. So sometimes we have to check it multiple times over the course of a cycle to kind of go, okay, where, where are we? Are we truly at that estrogen dominant state where overall we're dominant? Or has it now declined and we are, we are at a state where we might actually need hormone replacement with estrogen at this point? So this is a sticking point, and this is me extrapolating my own personal experience here, not necessarily that I could find this in the literature, but I was always estrogen dominant. There was no question about that. By the time my, my hormones kicked in, I went from being kind of a, you know, sort of, again, just like any little kid, flat-chested to having a butt and boobs in a matter of a summer. You know, it was embarrassing. Like, I hated it as a kid because it was so obvious, and I was also really short. So it was like, it was just, it just seemed so much more in your face, right? So it was obvious that I had plenty of estrogen circulating because that's what estrogen does. It, it, it feminizes us, right? So, but when I got into my late to middle 40s, it seemed like all of my symptoms got worse. And so we would test and we would see it and it would be elevated. And it's like, okay, you're estrogen dominant. So I would stay on progesterone and not do estrogen. And then if I put testosterone in, I was aromatizing it and making it worse. And, you know, we 
little far trying to fix it. And what I think was really going on, this is me, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I think at the time, if I had gone on a very low dose of biased at the very end, or a low dose of estradiol, I probably would have seen less of the ketchup bottle effect and had a better transition, even though I, I had a lot of control of it at the very, very end. I didn't have hot flashes. I didn't have all those other things. But the, the especially the metabolic effect that I was seeing, you know, this is me sort of looking at it now with a new lens after having gone back for my PhD to look at basically hormone and hormone metabolism. So the other thing is, is women in this latter stage it may be appropriate for you to not only replace progesterone, but to replace testosterone and to potentially replace estrogen before you go all the way through, right? But that takes a really high quality practitioner to help you understand where that is and someone that knows how to, how to look at the labs and interpret it and adjust your dose appropriately to what's really happening for you. Because the other thing is, is this is pretty individual. We have, we have a roadmap where we know what should be fluctuating and when, but how much that fluctuation is individualized, right? So it's not so variable that we can't test and we can't make assumptions and we can't make some plan. It just means that your experience might be slightly different than your best friend's. All right, so let me wrap this up on a bow and tell you what you want to do. If you're estrogen dominant, you need to definitely work on it, right? So I highly recommend working with a practitioner that knows how to work with it. We can do things nutritionally and often um, herbally to help a little bit, but I am a proponent when we start getting into the sticky part that hormone replacement is, is the right idea. So you want to seek out a functional medicine practitioner that can really, really help you. And so that's the first stage because probably you need progesterone. As you're moving into that uh, state of menopause where you're estrogen dominant, you need somebody to check your hormones over time and, and possibly replace the other hormones, testosterone and estrogens, to try to take the edge off. And you need to really address the insulin resistance and the other things that may be occurring just because of your hormones. We have to hold on to metabolic flexibility. So if you're somebody that you were able to lose weight until you hit your mid-40s and all of a sudden everything seemed to shift, it means that what you were doing then no longer works now and it's probably a lot of it is the interaction with the sex hormones. And I've talked ad nauseum about that. You know, so, so that you want to hold on to because it just makes that transition better. And then the next stage is if you are you know, working on your hormones, doing all those other things, is look at your environmental exposures, right? Look at how much plastics, herbicides, pesticides, toxins, other things may be in your environment and start slowly cleaning those up because that can make a difference in your overall exposure and also reduce the body burden because most of us are not great at detoxifying or biotransforming these ingredients and it, it leaves the body burden to be higher. And so helping your body be toxify is a really good idea also because you can make this transition period better. And you can do it by doing things without even doing hormones. And then if you're a woman in menopause and you're looking and listening to this and you're like, ah, oh, this sounds like it might be me, you know, if your menopause is more symptomatic and let's say you're on hormones, it may not be being managed properly because a lot of times doctors will put in hormones and they'll say lowest possible dose. Well, lowest possible dose may be enough to mimic a little bit of the activity, but it may not be physiological. So it may not be providing the balance to the bones, the heart 
the brain, the metabolic effect of estrogen, so and progesterone and testosterone. So the other thing is to know whether you're actually getting the adequate replacement, and that means testing it, right? And testing, particularly in urine, usually is your better way to test because it can show you your free hormones and also whether you're detoxifying those hormones appropriately, right? So I hope you found this interesting. I hope this was helpful. If it was, please share it with a friend. And we'll be back next week with Menopause Mastery. Hey ladies, tired of stubborn belly fat? Feel like you need to get a handle on your hormones? I know you're listening to Menopause Mastery and you are hungry for more. So I want to invite you to join the Banish Belly Fat for Women group on Facebook. In this group, we unlock the secrets of metabolic hormones for weight loss. We delve into your hormones, your labs, and try how you can understand your body better. And we give you the tools and equipment you need to transform this season of life into the best season ever. Here you will be a part of a thriving community and even meet the pros behind my organization and my success. We're going to empower you on your health journey. So I'd love to see you there. So if you love menopause mastery and you're dying for more, join us at the Banished Belly Fat for Women group on Facebook. It's a private community made just for you. If you're a fan of Menopause Mastery, I want to share a podcast for you that I consider a must listen. It is called The Girlfriend Doctor by my friend, Dr. Anna Kabeca. And Dr. Anna is a triple board certified OB gynecologist, and she's really here to help you nourish your body, mind, and spirit and embrace whole health. Each week, Dr. Anna takes on the difficult questions, everything from what's going on with your hormones to what's going on with your relationship to what's going on down there. And Dr. Anna really helps delve into the challenges that we face as women. It's one of the podcasts that I listen to all the time. And she has on experts and guests who really share their insights and really to delve into how women can truly thrive, mind, body, and spirit. So if you haven't given a listen to The Girlfriend Doctor, take a look, put it on your subscribe and listen along with me each week. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Menopause Mastery Podcast. You are why I'm here, and I am so very grateful. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode has helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love, and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD, and you can reach me online at BettyMurray.com.